You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Hey, I do want to. I want to seriously talk to you about an area of Scripture today that uh, I think is is very important for us to look at, and um, it is it is kind of one of those heavier uh, subject matters because I think all of us are guilty. Uh, in this particular area. And so it's something that we all need to work towards overcoming. So um, I'm going to talk to you about judging other people a little bit. And uh, as we grow and as we reach out in the community and as people come in with their hurts and needs and situations and challenges of life, it's very, very important that we have the right spirit and the right heart about us. Uh, so today I want to talk about it in, in sort of in that respect. So I'm going to take you into Luke's Gospel. Uh, uh, chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and uh, we're going to uh, look at a few verses of scripture there and uh, see what we can unpack from that, okay? All right, beginning at verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged, do not condemn and you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's pray. God, would you help us right now? Would you open our hearts to just really gain understanding, also help us to look at our own hearts in such a way that we allow you to bring introspection this morning, not to condemn us by any means, because Jesus did not come into this world to condemn it, but that through him it might be saved. So I pray that this morning we can receive your grace, your mercy, your goodness, and I pray that that grace will be sufficient in all the situations that we look at in our own lives, in our own hearts. And as we evaluate ourselves, may we come boldly to your throne room of grace and receive what is necessary to be free. Help us to change then, Lord, our lifestyle and our patterns of responding and reacting to circumstances and situations in such a way that our response is glorifying and edifying and more like that of Jesus. Would you help me that I would decrease in my presence this morning so that you, Lord Jesus, could increase through me. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help us because we need your help this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Some, some months ago, I got a call from the police department, and uh, they asked me who I was and if I was a pastor of this church, and uh, the officer said, um, one of your windows is broken out in the front of your building. You need to to come over. I found the person that broke the window, and I have them, and I'd like for you to talk to them. And uh, so I came over here not knowing what to expect and got over here, and there's a little guy, and uh, he had thrown a, a rock from across the street over, and it had, had hit uh, the window and, and just shattered the window. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not that big of a thing, and yet it is, you know, we don't want vandalism around the church, and we don't want to have to be paying for windows. Our windows cost hundreds of dollars to replace, you know, and yet there's this little kid, and so we proceeded to talk to him, and the officer pulled me aside. My first thought was, you know, rotten little kid, you know, what are you doing throwing rocks at the window, you little turkey, you know? And uh, I'm like, where's your mother? Where's your dad? You know, what's going on? This is ridiculous. You know, you're going to pay for this. Boom, boom, boom. You know, it's all this stuff's going through my head. And I'm just seeing this little delinquent kid, you know. And, uh, and uh, the truth is, is that, that he did throw the rock through the window. He actually wasn't throwing the rock at our window. He was throwing it at a car uh, that was coming by. 
And, but the reason he was throwing out the car was someone in the car had been acting very strange and, and, and kind of you know, bad towards him and some other kids. And so he proceeded to throw the rock. He just wasn't a very good aim. So he had hit the church and broke a window out. But I was still very judgmental, you know. And um, we went on our little, little trip and to England and came back. And, and I walked in the office and um, there was this bill on the, on the desk for the replacement of a window. Um, it wasn't that window, it was another window, but it was still a window. I wasn't around, and Pastor Dave was very good. He was such a diligent person to not bring anything to me on my sabbatical. He said, I'm taking care of everything, I'm going to do it, You're gonna, I'm not going to call you with any issues or problems, and he did, and he took care of replacing the window and all that kind of stuff, but the bill was on my desk. So I walked in, I looked at it, and I went, doggone it, I bet it's that same stinking little kid. You know, and I, I said, you know, who, who, who broke the window and, you know, didn't know. We have it on the, the video camera, the glass going in, but no faces or anything like that. But, again, I just immediately went right there. Some, some deviant little kid, probably that same one, he never really paid for the first window in the first place, you know, doing all this kind of stuff. There's a pastor that tells a story. Um, of another situation like that where a kid uh, throws a rock and he actually hit the window of a car. It was a Jaguar. And uh, this young executive was driving along down this little street and this kid throws this brick, I mean like a brick, into the Jaguar and just shatters the, the window. And the guy, of course, slams on the brakes and stops his Jag and he gets out and he's like swearing and cussing and he's like, what are you doing? He grabs the little kid, you know, and he says, what are you doing? What do you think this is? This is my new car. It's a Jag. Do you know how expensive this is? It's going to cost you a lot of money, you little jerk. And, uh, and he's, he is. He's jerking him around. And, and the kid's got tears in his eyes. And he looks at him. He says, hey, mister, please, just wait a minute. He said, I threw the brick because no one else would stop. And then he points over. And his little brother who was wheelchair-bound, had rolled off the curb of the street and had rolled out of the wheelchair and was laying in the street, and he couldn't get him back up. And he was trying to get people to stop, and no one would stop, and he didn't know what to do. And so he just picked up this brick that happened to be there and just threw it at the car to try to stop the guy because he didn't want his little brother to get hit by a car. And this guy relates how that when he got out of his car, his first thought was, this kid is deviant, this kid is horrible, and I'm going to make him pay, and this is awful. And, and you know, these kids who don't have any parents taking care of them and helping them and training them up, and, and he's just, I'm, you know, I'm a young executive, I've got everything together, I worked hard for my jag, and this kid comes along and messes it up, and I, he is going to pay, his family is going to pay, he's just on and on and on until he understands the story. He goes over and helps get the kid off the street and back into the wheelchair. The little boy says, thank you so much. I'm so sorry. And he says, just go. And the little boy, he, he stands and watches the little boy take the kid off down the, 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 the sidewalk to his house, um, ever so thankful. Aren't we, aren't we church so quick to judge? Aren't we so quick to just assume and, and to judge and to decide things? Um, unfortunately, that is just all too common of the story, all right? It, 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 without knowing the facts, we all make these judgments about people all the time. We do this constantly, not just in in intense situations like that, but we're just doing this. Somebody walks down the street, we judge them. Someone comes to the door, we judge them. Someone calls on the phone, we judge them. We're in the grocery store, we judge. We're in, we're in the department store, we judge. We're in the park, we judge. I found, Barbara and I took a drive. At, at night, sometimes we take a drive. We get in the Jeep and we go downtown and, and we drive. We get something to drink and we go and we just drive around and, and walk around. It was hot Harley nights last night. Now, just before I'm preaching a sermon on judging, that should not have been where I found myself. <laughs> My goodness. But we're driving around downtown and there are thousands of people down there on bikes and walking around and, and drinking and having... 
a grand old time, and I am driving by, and I am starting to judge people. Strangers I don't even know. I don't know anything about their lives, but just, I just take one glance and I make a judgment. I, I condemn people. How many of you, someone starts to talk and they start to tell you something and before they even get it out of their mouth, you've already judged them on, on the comment. You've already decided how, how the story's going to go and you've already decided how they are in the condition of their heart. You've already judged them in that way. Any of you identifying with what I'm talking about here? You, I mean, this is us. This is, I'm not talking about the world out there right now, folks. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about you and I in here when we go out there. We've got, we've got this crazy thing going on in the church now. And uh, we, we honestly have this mentality of it's us against them. There's so much of that in the church today. And, and it's sort of like we need to protect ourselves. We need to go in our little sanitized Christian environment because the world out there will get us dirty. It will taint us. It will, it will defile us. It will slime us. And so we have a tendency not to go out there too much. We have a tendency to peek out there and look around. And then we go, whoop, and we come back in. Because it's sinful, and it's, it's the world, and, and, and it's, it's, it's ugly, or it's dangerous, or it's bad, or it's dirty. And the reality is that we have been called to go into the world. That is what Jesus called us to do. He called us to go into the world. But he did not give you a tool called judgment. He gave you a tool called grace. And a tool called love. Tool called mercy. He gave you a wonderful, delightful toolbox, but we tend to set that aside and pick up this thing called judgment and, and, and a, a critical spirit, and we go out and we start pointing fingers and we start, start doing all kinds of stuff. I, uh, I was driving yesterday morning over here, and I drove through the neighborhood, and it was earlier, or part of the day, and I noticed a few people out and about. Of course, when you, when you prepare a sermon and, you, and you're getting ready to preach it, you, you kind of have to live it through. You know, it's like God just puts you through it. You know, it's like he just forces you through it like you're going through a meat grinder or something. You know, we, we, I mean, I, that he preached on lust, I was so excited. I was like, hallelujah, I don't have to deal with that one. I don't have to be tested in this area. <laughs> he gets to have it, you know. Fasting, I was like... Praise the Lord. I'm not going to have to fast <laughs> before I preach that sermon. <laughs> then I get judging others. And I'm driving my Jeep, and I thought, wow, I look at these people, and I immediately pass these judgments. God, my heart is so wicked. And I felt like, I feel like it now. I feel like I'm hearing God saying, yeah. But it's not just out there that you do that. It's when you go in your house. It's when you're in the church. It's among those that you're supposed to love the most. Those I've called you to care about. And I immediately thought about times when I've judged members of the body of Christ. Times when I judged my wife. She, she can tell you. She can tell you when I put on my robe and sit up in my high seat and start to judge people because she's been the victim of that many times. What are you getting at, Pastor? I'm getting at this. The church has a very bad reputation. We're, we're, we have this reputation as this, this judgmental bunch of hypocrites, all right? Don't we? And, and, and I've had too many, one is too many, but I've had too many conversations with people who have, have been hurt by the church because of the unfair judgments and the condemnation they have felt when they've come inside of the church or when they've dealt with Christian people. There, there are just way too many people out there, if you will, 
who, who have vowed that they will never set foot in a church again because of the way that they have been treated. treated. And, and, and this is a tragedy. It's a tragedy that, that, that I think Jesus tries to address here in this particular passage that I read to you today. So let's, let's just try to unpack it just a little bit here and, and see what we might be able to learn here. Let me, let me try to help you here just a little bit, all right? Jesus is saying essentially here, uh, how do you want to be treated? Then treat others that way. Whatever whatever you want people to do towards you, you do it towards them. However you want them to respond to you, you respond to them. Do you want to be judged? No, of course not. Well, then don't judge others. Do you want to be condemned? Of course not. Well, then don't condemn others. You You want to be forgiven? Yes. All right, well, then forgive others. And, and here, here's a, an amazing thing that I've learned, this little insight for all of you. If you can get this stuff out of you, you are a much less toxic person, and you will be a lot happier, a lot healthier, and a lot less tired. Because you won't be carrying all this stuff around with you, all right? Whatever the measure is that, that we give to people, that's what will be returned to us according to Scripture, all right? It'll be, it'll be given to you, the Bible says. You ask of God and God will give to you. He'll give to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured, the Bible says, into your lap. But here's the key. With whatever measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What do you want poured in your lap? You want negative, critical feelings and judgments in you? I don't think so. I don't. But if that's the way we're responding, that's what's going to come back to us. These are principles. These are spiritual, biblical principles. Let me tell you something about spiritual principles. They they are a given. They happen. They happen. A lot of times you'll see a person who maybe isn't a, a believer, but they're a generous person. They continue to be rewarded from, because of their generosity. It's not because they're a Christian. It's because they're following a principle that is in place by God and He doesn't move and waver from it. So, so these are principles that Jesus is talking about here and they're a given, whether you're a Christian or not. This is the way it is. Whatever you meet out, it's going to, you're going to be met with. Now, God is sovereign in all of that, and He can do what He wants to within that context. But you need to to understand that that He is saying here, what what do you want? How do you want to be treated? Then that's the way you should be treating others. And this passage I read to you is probably one of the most well-known and best-used passages in non-Christian circles. And this is what causes some of us some headaches. It's used by all sorts of people who accuse Christians of being wrongly judgmental. You know, how, how, how dare you say something about my actions or my lifestyle or, or my choices? Or how, how dare you tell me that my choices are sinful? Jesus says you shouldn't judge me. Here's the problem with that. They're, they're right. I shouldn't judge them. But I don't have to give them money either. I don't have to fuel their sinful behavior in some way. I'm not to judge. But I certainly don't have to enable either. And I hope you understand my heart in that, all right? And I'm not, I'm not setting you up to be used today, all right? I'm not setting you up, putting you in a position where you walk out of here and you say, well, according to pastor, I just got to lay down and be a mat and everybody can walk all over me. That is not what I'm saying at all. And I hope I can, can unpack this in a way that you can understand that here in, in a couple of minutes, all right? But what, but what I want you to understand is that there is a position that you need to take first and foremost. When I was in high school, no, actually it was junior high. Junior high, uh, you're not going to believe this, I tried to play football. It was a disaster. And the coach, God bless his little old heart, 
he came up to me one day and put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you ever thought about being a water boy? But we had this kid, and, and he and I were sort of in the same predicament. We didn't know doodly squat about football or, or how to play. The only problem was I was, I was I was a bean pole. I mean, I was about four inches wide and about <laughs> 62 pounds. The problem was I was growing up, you know, but just up. This guy... He had sort of turned sideways to get through the door. <laughs> I mean, he had a lot of volume, but he just didn't know what to do with it and couldn't handle it, you know. He was my worst nightmare. You know, I was like, please, I do. I just don't want to see him coming towards me, you know. But, but the, the, the two of us were out there, and we were trying. We were, you know, we were, we were trying to play football. And the coach would say, get in position. I, I didn't even really know what that meant. I didn't even know what my position was. You know, it was just, but this big guy, he'd just come running over there and he'd go. And he could be like away from everybody else, but he was like, he just knew he was supposed to just stand. You know, he was just supposed to be there. And, and, and here, I, I want you to be able in some way like that little guy to just know that you need to take position. You know, you just need to, you need to position yourself in such a place or such a way or such a manner that, that you're in the game, all right? Well, the game is life. And this life is one of living like Jesus. And the position that you need to be operating from is the same at all times. And if you don't know what that position is, the circumstances of life that come against you will move you. They'll rock you and shake you and reposition you in a place you don't want to be. But if you can position yourself where you're supposed to be and you know what your position is, you'll be effective in whatever comes towards you or against you. And I want you to understand that your position is one of love and mercy and grace, not of being the judge. All right? That's, that's the position we take. Some call it the one-down position. And a lot of people don't like that. They don't like the one-down position. They say, well, that means we lose. It isn't about losing. You've already won. It isn't about what you give up. You've already died. It isn't about what you might can get because you've been given everything through Christ. You have everything you need for life and godliness. So if you live out of your position that is in Christ, you'll live appropriate to, to be able to do exactly what Jesus is saying and teaching that we need to be doing. Which is, don't judge. Alright? And I believe this is, this is like the proper biblical approach. Alright? How do we respond? And Jesus is not saying here that, that you are not allowed to say that anything is right or wrong. I mean, sh let me ask you this. Did, are, are we as Christians, are we supposed to go out and join our culture and buy into this kind of new definition of, of tolerance, which means that we accept all opinions and all thoughts and all actions and everything is equally valid? No. That is not what we do. We don't live the new tolerance. But we live in the place of grace and of mercy and of acceptance and of love and, and of the tolerance that God has for all of us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we're to know when it is appropriate to in some way judge and when it is not, we're going to have to lift our focus above just one little verse of Scripture and, and guard ourselves from taking passages out of context and trying to apply them in some way. I would never want you to be a legalistic church. We've worked too hard to move you away from that and to make you life-giving. All right? 
But I, I think there's a hole here where we come into a balance. We bring everything into a balance. And you can understand the position that you're to operate from. So that when Jesus says, don't judge others, you understand what he's talking about. And here's the problem. We've all got stuff. That's why he says, the problem is you've got a speck that you're looking at in your brother. But you're not able to see the plank that is in your own eye. You're not, you're not able to see what is, is back there that is big, that is, is holding you, and yet you want to correct your brother or, or point out the fault or the weakness in your, your brother or someone outside of the church as well. So I, I believe that, that all of this will lead us to this conclusion that, that we have a default position. We have a stance that when it's time to take a position, that's where we go. That's where we immediately land. We, when we're right there every single time. We don't waffle. We don't go back and forth, all right? And that is one of forgiveness and mercy. Not judging and condemning. Now, there are certain times when we as Christians are called upon to make judgments. To, to judge in some manner. And we'll, we'll look at that in, in a moment here. But first, let me talk to you for a little bit about where you are not to judge. All right? As a Christian, this is where you are not allowed to pass judgment. You're not allowed to give any kind of judgment. All right? And I'm going to try to base this on Scripture. As a Christian, as a believer in life, church, you are not to pass judgment on people for their moral failures. You don't get to judge it. You don't, you don't get to decide anything about that, all right? Romans chapter 2, verse 1. You can look at it in your, in your Bible if you'd like. But it says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Hear that today, all right? If you pass judgment, you have, you have not really passed judgment, you have condemned yourself is what you've really done. Because you who pass judgment do the same kinds of things, the Bible says. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth, right? We do, according to Scripture. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same kinds of things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? You judge, you're going to get judged. It's, it's going it's to come back to you. Or, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Man, that is heavy. That is, that is so big. All right? But here's... here's let me simplify it down and give you one aspect of this that I want you to walk away with here. I want you to hold on to. It is God's desire that we all are led to repentance. Every one of us. God's people and the lost. Without repentance, you, you, you don't get anywhere. You don't get there, okay? Repentance, repentance is essential. But what leads to repentance is love and kindness, not judgment and condemnation. And when you come in and intersect an individual and God's work in their lives by judging and condemning, you actually pull back the timeline. You're working against what God is trying to do. Because how is God going to lead that person to repentance through love and kindness and mercy and forgiveness and these things except through you and I, through the church, through us loving them and care about them, caring about them and, 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 and hanging on with them. Again, I'm not talking about you tolerating sin. But I'm saying in the midst of sin, you tolerate the sinner. And beyond that, you actually display love and mercy and kindness for them. It's a tall order for where the American our Western church has come to. And I want to challenge, especially us in life church, that we live out of this, all right? 
So Paul here is saying when we pass judgment on others because of their inability to follow God's law, we're doing two things. We're really showing contempt for God and his way of leading people to repentance, which is through kindness and tolerance and patience. And I've, I've been there with you. I know sometimes we just, we just want God to do something. But here's the problem. Most of the time we want God to punish them. We want God to make them hurt, especially if they hurt us. If we felt it personally, it gets personal. And at that point, it's hard to just let God do what God wants to do on his timeline. I want them to be taken care of. I want it to be done now. And sometimes we're like the Israelites. Lord God, Jehovah, just go in there and smash their skulls on the rocks and bust them up. Because they have been awful. They're the enemy. Sinners are not your enemy. They're the enemy of Christ. They're at enmity with him. But you are actually the mediator. You, according to scripture, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is one of mediating. And Paul says there, we no longer look on any man as we once did. We no longer judge by any standards. We judged Jesus. And he did. He says, I don't do that anymore. Because I've experienced that, that mercy, that grace, and that love. I no longer judge. And the second thing you're doing is you're storing up wrath against yourself. Because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's, it's, it's tough stuff. So instead of passing judgment on people when they fall or fail, Jesus gives us this amazing commandment that we forgive them and that we offer them the same mercy that God offers us. All right. The second thing is this. As Christians, we are not to judge other Christians regarding disputable matters. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. My friend, you don't have a judgment seat. God hasn't given you one. He hasn't put you on one. There isn't one nearby you. You can't get one from God. There's no such thing as a Christian's judgment seat. Only God's. And you will be judged there. And he, he, he goes beyond, though, just this idea of you not judging your brother, meaning other believers. But he says, don't even look down on them. Have the right attitude. Have the right heart motive, one towards the other. I know that some of you don't like everything I do. I'm sorry, I just had to pan the room and see a few smiles, you know. Roy's was the best, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I don't like everything all of you do. I like almost everything all of you do. I'll guarantee you, if my wife will be honest, she doesn't like everything I do. 
Oh, there you go. Uh, I was fishing, and I caught a big one. <laughs> she likes me. Jesus looked beyond your fault and saw your need. In one passage, he says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I'll guarantee you, it wasn't a situation where he pulled the list out of his back pocket and went, okay, all right, let me see if I like Roy or not, or if I want to choose Roy. <laughs> yeah, he'll get in by the skin of his teeth. No. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where, where Roy came from. It doesn't matter what Roy has done. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. You chose him. Just like you chose me. And how can I look at Roy and judge him? Or Roy, look at me and judge me. When the place we both have come from is a place of need. Because we were sinners in need of forgiveness. See, the cross puts us all on that even plane. Nobody, nobody's special there. And so you and I cannot judge each other in the body of Christ. All right? These, these things are debatable things for some. They're argumentative things for some. They're even divisive things for some. They should not be. They ought not to be so. We need to embrace one another and the place we are walking with each other and do that in great love and, and great acceptance, knowing full well that we are all not what we will be. And thank God we're not what we were. And what we are going to become is going to be much better than what we ever were through Jesus Christ. Christians are not to judge people's hidden motives. This one is, boy, ooh, ouch. You know, how many times have you figured out somebody's motive of their heart only to find out a little later that you were totally wrong, just as the guy in the jag? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and it will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. We don't know what others' motives are, and so we can't judge their actions. Well, you can, but you're not supposed to. You, you, you shouldn't. It's wrong. It's, it, it's, it's, not, it's not right for you and I to, to look that way. Let me give you one pastor. I, I was looking at some of his summer materials last, this last week, and he was... He shared that someone in their church had written into a local TV station. Um, she was a cashier at a local grocery store. She was very irate because a couple of people had come in, and one lady had bought these very expensive prawns, you know, like seafood, uh, and paid for them with food stamps. And another lady that week had come in and bought a very, very expensive cake, and paid for it with food stamps. And she was just irate. She was just indignant, you know. And she was like, these people on food stamps should not be buying these expensive foods like this. They shouldn't, they shouldn't be buying this stuff. And so she wrote in and you know, sort of vented and complained about it. And a number of letters came back to the editor concerning her attitude about that uh, on, on both sides of, of the coin, so to speak. Uh, but there were two letters in particular that stood out. And one of them was a lady, and she said, I think perhaps I am the lady who bought the prawns. She said, uh, please forgive me. She goes, it was my husband's retirement from his job, and uh, he had struggled, and we had and we, you know, to make ends meet, but he worked diligently all those years. And this prawn casserole that we made was his favorite. And I just wanted, in celebration of his retirement, to make him this casserole. And oh, by the way, it lasted us for three days of meals. The other letter that, that came in was a lady who said, I bought a birthday cake and paid with it for foods, with food stamps. Now, I don't know if I'm the person that this lady upset, but my cake was $17. It was my daughter's birthday. And um, 
it was her last birthday because she shortly after that died of cancer. And we wanted to go up and have a beautiful birthday celebration with her before she died. Doesn't that just change everything? I feel sorry for the, the, the clerk at the grocery store at this point. I hope she feels <laughs> something. But, but haven't we all done that kind of stuff? Checked out somebody's motives and judged them and, and, and said that's, that's the way they are and, and, and in some way passed some sort of judgment on them? And when you do that, you think crazy things, you know. Ah, they should lose their food stamps. Ah, they should not be, our government shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be taking care of poor people. Well, Jesus says take care of poor people. And he doesn't tell you to judge them. This is hard. You ask Pastor Dave, it's hard. We, we have these every week. Every week. Can I tell a little bit of stories? Without names, protect the guilty. Not you, of course. <laughs> we have people who do crazy stuff. And they come back, and, they, and when we say no to them, they say, well, you're supposed to be a Christian. You, you have to give to us. You have to help us. You have to do this. You have to do that. It would be so easy to judge them. We have people who tell us they want to go get medicine because they're sick. Doesn't that just pull your heart? I mean, I'm compa- Pastor Dave's merciful and, and compassionate. I don't know if he was always that way, but he is now, praise the Lord. <laughs> but I'm worried he might not stay that way. Because we have, we have abusers in the world. No, he will stay that way because of the God that is in him. But this is where it gets hard. We've had, we've had people come in and, and, and say, you have, to, you have to help me because you're a Christian. Pastor Dave, has someone asked him to go get them medicine and they actually were buying marijuana in the back of the store? I was furious. He had great compassion. He still does. I'm still mad. See, these are people who, who don't care and are acting irresponsible. He's got a family. He doesn't need someone. He needs to be taking people to go buy marijuana. He didn't know. He trusted. He cared. I guarantee he's not going to do it again. I was like, kick the guy to the curb. You got a family, you got a church, you got a reputation as a pastor, you're trying to adopt a child from Ghana. This this person is totally irresponsible. Well, God exposed it, took care of it. In in, in a, a, a quiet, wonderful way, Pastor Dave was enlightened to everything that was going on. And nobody has to know who he is, where he's at, what story he gets his marijuana from. And all these kinds of things. But we ain't taking him back. And we're going to talk to him seriously. And he has. But we, we have no right to judge still. He's a broken man. He's fragmented. He's a survivalist. He's trying to do what he can do. And he doesn't know how to do it right. And he's hooked in a system and in a dependency. And I'm going to tell you what. This is why we still have to help him on some level. I'm not saying all of you have to help him. But you, there's somebody out there for you too. But we have to help him because for whatever reason, God and in his infinite sovereignty has brought him across our path. But here's the thing. But for the grace of God, there goes me, our Pastor Dave. And we know that. We know that down in our heart. Don't judge. We're going to have to stop here. Lastly, and most importantly, which brings me back to this illustration I just used, is as Christians, we are not to judge unbelievers. 
1 Corinthians 5.12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, John 3.17, but to save the world through him. Scripture is very clear, isn't it? When are Christians to judge? Because that question still hangs out there, doesn't it? Are there not some appropriate places or times for us to be judges, to be fruit inspectors, if you will? I think the answer is yes. But we have a very short leash, folks. We can't go too far with it, all right? Here's the first thing you need to understand about when you are to inspect and judge, and that is that you are to use the mind of Christ, not your own. All right? You use the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. God has given you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to have the mind of Jesus Christ. But you've got to be walking in the Spirit to be able to use the mind of Christ. It is the spirit man, that is the man, the woman, the, the child who is filled with the Holy Spirit through the relationship with God that, that walks through this life constantly seeking God's understanding, God's revelation, the mind of Christ for what is right and for what is wrong. And when we know what is right and, and wrong because of the Holy Spirit's guidance and his, and, and his work in us, we, we operate as truly spiritual people. And there we're able to discern things. That gives us the ability to walk with a man. And when we discern something or God reveals something to us as going on, we're able to confront that person as pastors, as spiritual leaders, and try to help them deal with that. And we have the ability to say no in situations. And no is a very anointed word. It is equally or maybe even more so anointed than the word yes. But if you're on the other end and you're desperate and you're looking for something and you need something, it's very hard for you to hear no. It's very hard for you and I when we have all the comforts that we need and everything that is enjoyable and we ask God for something and he either doesn't answer us or says no to accept that. No, it's hard to swallow. But if we have the mind of Christ, we're very capable then. I want you to understand, you, are, you have the ability, you have the capability to discern and to know right from wrong and good from evil. And, and that is your, your entry point for dealing with people and being able to assess where they are and what they might need without judging them. You assess the situation and the fruit of their life and where their motives are coming from based on truth of Scripture. Christians are to judge, number two, most important, ourselves, not others. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. If we judge... But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. God gives you the opportunity to judge yourself. He gives you the opportunity to look at yourself based on the light of Scripture and make the necessary recalibrations for your life. Paul calls you to judge yourself. Examine the things that you do, the things you say, the things you think in the light of God's word and let the Holy Spirit guide you. And as you do that, you make the necessary changes that you need to make in your life. If we judge ourselves, if we confess our sins to him, we no longer have to worry about the judgment to come, folks. You'll be fine. And you know what? You'll be able to live a life like Paul where he says, hey, you want to do it right? Just follow me. Do what I do. You'll be all right. I love that about Paul. I hate the fact that it's very difficult for me to say that to someone. Folks, we as the church, we can judge unrepented sin among those who claim to be Christians. We can do that. Again, your heart's got to be right. 1 Corinthians 5, 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Remember, he's writing to the church at Corinth here. And of a kind that does not occur even among pagans, he is dealing with something in the church. A man has his father's wife. He is dealing with something that is, is not spoken about. It is unheard of. It just isn't done. He says, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have... 
put out your fellowship, this man who did this? Paul's saying, you know what? You should have put him out. He shouldn't be allowed to be in and among the church. He says, even though I'm not physically present with you, I'm with you in the spirit, and I've already passed judgment on the guy. I've already said he 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 needs to be out. Hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit may be saved on the Lord's day. Paul is saying here, put him out. Make him understand that there is sin in his life. Make him understand that there is repercussions to that sin, but do it in such a way that in the end he will be able to be restored. He can be brought back. If his heart will change and he will repent, he can be brought back in. Friend, when you and I deal with sin among one another, it is not to destroy each other. It is not to set each other apart. It is for the whole sake of reconciliation to God. I know in early church history, people were brought up front with their, because of their sins, and they had to make confessions, and they had to repent publicly, and those kinds of things. I'm not for that, personally. I am for a, a very wonderful, gracious reconciliation to God. So when someone comes to Pastor Dave and I, and they say, I've done this, or I've done that, or I have this kind of failure, or, or this, or, or that, or the other, we don't bring them up here. We set them in our office, and we try to figure out what's behind, what happened. We try to help them to, first of all, see the sin own it and repent of it, and then let's, let's figure out how is the, 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 the easiest, most efficient way that we can restore you back into the kingdom of God, and how can we work with you, and then let us tell you that we are going to try to watch you and guard you and help you. We're going to be there. We're going to be looking. We're going to be asking the hard questions and those kinds of things, because our goal is to keep you right with God and right with, with the body of Christ, all right? I want you to understand something. There really is a right and wrong. The Bible gives us some very clear answers to some things. And I, w- I want to challenge you and I that, that we, we not become the judges of the kingdom of God, but that we live under judgment and that we judge ourselves and that we let the Holy Spirit work deep in us to bring the changes that are necessary. Don't judge your brother. Because if you do, you will be judged equally back. Love the family of God. Help the family of God. Care about the family of God. That is what we are here for, for one another. God bless you.